electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the tech tailwind for stocks, how long it might last, and what happens if it doesn't? We'll ask the investment committee to bait the road ahead for your money. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal. Check a look at the markets here. Well, we're a bit muted today. I think we're eyes are uh, obviously still on those debt ceiling negotiations. We are focused, though, on tech, as we have been almost every day and for good reason. NASDAQ is coming off its highest close since August of 22. The NASDAQ 100 coming off its highest close since April of last year. Another new high for Microsoft today, and we're going to get to all of that. However... We have a trade alert from Josh Brown that we want to get to first. You've doubled your position yeah. in? In uh, Toast. T-O-S-T. So my history with the stock since, since I got involved with it relatively recently, bought it right before an uh, Bought it right before an earnings call, and of course, it went immediately down. Um, had a new earnings report two weeks ago, which I thought was one of the best earnings reports I've seen from any of the stocks I own this year. I think they beat on revenue by $150 million. This is now a business that, between subscription revenue and annually recurring revenue from the various services they sell to restaurant owners, um, really is a multi-billion dollar base that they can build on. And if you think about the TAM, the amount of restaurants, not just in the U.S., but globally, that could use Toast's products and services to make more money. Who doesn't want that? Um, the growth here could go on for a decade or more uh, at relatively high levels. So they obviously have to execute in order to make that happen. Technically, stock looks phenomenal coming off those lows after the last earnings call. This was a beat. It was a raise. There aren't that many of those in this economy. And I really like the momentum here. So I, I added to the position slightly lower than where I first bought it. And may God have mercy on myself. <laughs> All right. All right. So you've doubled your position there. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the overall market? Well, I said, may God have mercy on my soul, because I think we're probably about to have a blow off top in tech if we haven't already. It doesn't have to be the final top. The market's still pretty constructive. I could picture the Nasdaq rallying throughout the course of the year, especially if rates are pretty much done going up. But they get overbought. And overbought is not like a feel thing where you just look at the tape and you say, oh, that, you know, the roulette table hit black too many times. It's overbought. I'm going red. Overbought literally. Um, is when you're tracking relative strength. And when you look at RSIs for some of the hottest tech stocks in the market and some of the largest, they're all approaching levels where you say, okay, this might have gone too far too fast. Not necessarily too far, period, but just in the short term. So I don't hate the idea of maybe calming down a little bit, maybe mm -hmm. not adding the next tech stock. I want to point out that nearly 70% 
of the Triple Q's ETF holdings hit above their 50-day moving average last week. That's now back down to 62%. Um, but those are the highs that we've seen in this reading of breadth going back to December of 22. So this is like the best levels of the year for Q's um, above that 50-day. And it, it becomes more challenging for the rally to continue once every stock has already made its move. All right, so that's so, how I'm feeling right now. So you're not alone. Um, no. You know, Jimmy Wolf today says they're just waiting for the inevitable rug pull as it relates to tech. We believe we're in the final stages of the blow off top for tech like Josh was talking about. It's not just the narrowness that troubles us, but the wide and growing divergences. And, and we know what divergences we're talking about between tech and seemingly almost everything else. Yeah. Not everything else, but almost everything else. Yeah, and I think it begs the question you asked it in your intro of, you know, what happens if tech does reach its top and come down? Does the rest of the market come down with it or does it come up? Now, I actually take some comfort from this earnings season uh, because a lot of stocks actually did beat, raised guidance, and I'm seeing earnings estimates go up in real hard asset type of stocks, industrials like Cat, uh, like Deer, discretionary, true discretionaries like General Motors or the airlines. These are stocks where they beat earnings, Scott, guidance went up and estimates are going up. I put all that together. Oh, by the way, I left out the punchline. Most of these stocks, the prices are down, as you alluded to. Um, but I put all this together and I say in those conditions, if tech has reached a top and comes down, these stocks actually fundamentally are poised to take up the leadership. Well, Steph, that, that's the, arguably the biggest question in the market. The fact if, if, tef, if, if tech tumbles in any way, can anything pick up the slack? And that's what, what Mark Newton at Fundstrat wants to know, that if the broader market strength is possible if when technology stalls out, and he thinks it looks possible into the end of the week, that's just near some of the resistance of what you know is an obviously overbought sector based on you know the metrics of those who look at that sort of thing. That doesn't mean that overbought means you know poised for a, a big decline in any way. Things can remain overbought, oversold for an extended period of time. But what about that issue um, of, of whether if there is a tumble, if the tailwind does go away, what if anything's going to pick up the slack? I don't know if it's all or nothing, Scott. I think you have to step back and say, why has tech and the large tech names, why have they outperformed everything else? And it's really because there's been a defensive feel in the market all year long. There's just too many unknowns, like with regards to the debt ceiling and with regards to the Fed. And are they going to pause? Are they going to pivot? Inflation remains too high. So all of these concerns are have led investors to focus on quality companies, free cash flow, strong balance sheets, and excellent market share. And oh, by the way, throw in AI, which is two, $3 trillion total addressable market. And oh, by the way, you have mean reversion because all of these stocks were horrible performers last year. When you add it all up, you can see why these stocks have done have done well. And in fact, all of the big, the big six, big seven, they're all down still from their highs. And in, if you look at Amazon and Meta, they're still down 30, over 30% from their highs. So you can see why you've seen this kind of a rotation. I think to some degree, if you can get a resolution on the debt ceiling, and we will one way or the other, if you can get some resolution on the Fed, if they just pause and look at the economic activity, which by the way, is also pretty darn good. If you look at the GDP now numbers are running at 2.9%. So if you can have all of those things kind of work itself through, I think you could actually see a broadening in the market. Not necessarily tech has to fall. Maybe tech just pauses for a little bit 
And then you'll, you can see, though, other sectors pick up the slack. But I think it's more of a broadening thing as you get these questions answered. Well, I got two tests, I guess, Josh, that I, I would say that, that tech has to, to get through. Uh, rates headwind. If rates continue to go up, which we've been saying almost every day they're up, and you look at the curve today, uh, everything's green in terms of yields. Um, so they're up again. That's one. And then NVIDIA earnings tomorrow in overtime. Yeah. Uh, those are two significant tests for tech, I think. What do you think? Yeah, chips have been a really big part of the tech rally. And without a doubt, NVIDIA has become a bellwether, whether it wants to or whether it should. It absolutely has. Not just because of its position in so many different areas of the technology ecosystem globally, but because of how popular its stock has become amongst traders and investors. So uh, I wouldn't say it's make or break for the market, but I would absolutely say it's very tough to picture a bright green day for the overall market if NVIDIA blows the quarter. Now, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think there's more of a danger in they have an incredible quarter and the market yawns because the stock's already been up so much. That's actually the risk that I think is is the heavier risk. Uh, so I remain invested there. One thing I want to point out that we shared with clients um, over the last couple of weeks about the tech rally specifically because of how widely held these stocks are. You know, a lot of this conversation depends on the lens that you want to use. And so many people talk in terms of year to date. And I understand that there's nothing wrong with that. But if you contextualize this huge rally in Nasdaq and tech and you take it back to the COVID lows, what you find is all that's happened this year is a giant catch up trade. And and Jimmy will be aware of this data, but let me share it very quickly. Um, If you think about the COVID low in March 2020 through the end of last year, the queues underperformed by a huge margin. As of December 30th, 2022, the Qs were only up 60%. The S&P was up 75% off that COVID low, and the Dow was up 82%. This year, that's reversed. The Qs are leading substantially. But look at the totals. Now they're all neck and neck off that COVID low. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we needed a catch-up trade. These are high-quality companies. They had a really horrendous 2022. And this year, you had some equilibrium come back. I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. See, to your point... Off of the 52-week lows, Apple's 40%, Microsoft's 50%, Alphabet's 48%, and Amazon's 41%. Yeah. But off of, the, off of their record highs, also to your point, we're still 23% for Q's, Alphabet. Yeah. Amazon 63%. The Qs are 16% away from the high, and the Dow is only 7%. So, yes, we've had a great rally in large cap growth and tech this year. But let's not just start January 1st as though it has any sort of meaning. If we take these numbers back to the COVID lows, these stocks have not been excessively bid up relative to everything else. So NVIDIA is reiterated by, Jimmy, at, uh, at Stiefel today. Price target to 300 It's reiterated by its city. Microsoft added to the Jeffries franchise picks list. Reiterated overweight at Piper. AMD gets a nod as well at, at B of A. Um, which just shows you the love affair with these stocks doesn't seem to be waning in any way, shape, or form. It, it does not. And I could point out, and Josh would as well, that NVIDIA is up 114%, I think, year-to-date. Now, would I have said at 80, up 80% that I think that's enough? Sure I would have, and I would have been dead wrong. So the analysts are doing what's safe here, and they're going with where the strength is. I completely get that. I think there is an underlying cause besides AI to the strength in these FANG names, and that's this continuing debate about whether we're going to have a 
recession or not. It's a healthy debate. The economy hasn't shown signs of a recession yet. A few cracks, but not really a recession. So what that's doing is that's saying to investors, well, maybe we should get in the markets. Where are we going to get into the stock markets? We're going to get into the strongest place, the safest place, the stocks that in the last 15 years, when there was slow or no growth, performed well. It's, it is, to me, more behavioralistic, the fact that NVIDIA, just to use an example, has gone up 114 percent. If, however, the recession is proven to be not coming, and we're not there yet, but if that proof comes, I think you may see the non-tech stocks rally. I think St- Stephanie, would, Stephanie would agree with this very quickly. These companies have really big moats, and when interest rates go higher, what that means is less funding for other Silicon Valley companies that might want to challenge. And as a result, these franchises become worth more, not less. And it's not a million of them. I'm talking about the dominant six or seven tech giants. The, the moats become even more formidable when capital dries up out west. And there is some element of that to the story. And, and Steph, I think you would agree with me, at least as it pertains to, let's say, a meta or an alphabet. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why I say people were focusing this year on on quality, on free cash flow, and, and these companies have it in spades. And then also um, the market share numbers just continue to grow. Um, and I think AI is only going to help them grow even faster. And that's clearly what the market's thinking because these stocks are up so much. Um, but I, I just I think that you want to be very careful on chasing here. I think you have to look at valuations. And I actually think that the semiconductors are more attractive here. They're cheaper. The SMH is up 30% year to date. And a lot of other stocks, and like your NVIDIA, Josh, it's up a heck of a lot more. But I still think that there is value there, and especially in the um, semi-cap equipment names um, as well. And I also think cybersecurity is still very, very much in the early innings, and there's opportunity as well. So overall, we talk about the mega cap stocks, but there are so many technology stocks and themes within technology that have done really well this year that maybe they're they're the ones that you have an opportunity to buy on any weakness versus chasing these other names, which seem very concentrated and very overlooked. Steph, you you made a comment um, in in your sort of opening commentary that the economy is, quote, pretty darn good. So what am I supposed to do with manufacturing PMI, which is at 48 and a half, which is below 50? Um, You know, the economy's been hanging in pretty darn good. Are you sure that that's the way you would characterize where the economy is is now? Yeah, I would. <laughs> 2.9% GDP, even if it's 2%, even if the numbers come in a little bit. But you had a great PMI services number, 55.1. That's expansion. You had a composite when you add the manufacturing with services. That is over 50. That's expansion. Um, you had Okay, uh, core retail sales last week, core retail sales, not the, not the headline. And then today you had the new home sales is the best number we've seen since March of last year. And so I think you're troughing in housing. You got to be patient for sure. Um, but I think the services side is still humming along. Is it going to slow? Yeah, it's going to slow. But for now, there's so much momentum, Scott. There's just not, you can't say that we're in a recession at this point in time, which a lot of bears are saying at this uh, point. No, and we're not. in addition, we're not. as Jimmy just mentioned, um, we're, the we're not in a recession. I mean, that's kind of obvious. I, I hear you on that. We're not in a recession. But, you know, the idea that the economy is pretty darn good today means that it's going to remain pretty darn good for the next however many months. Why, why are, for example, 
steel stocks down? Why are metals and mining stocks down? Why is copper the lowest level of the year on pace for its worst month in almost a year? Why, why is all this happening if, if people are convinced the economy is, quote, pretty darn good? Well, I think 2.9% GDP growth is there are puts and takes within the economy. Maybe the manufacturing side and the, and the commodity side have struggled, um, and they will continue to struggle, although I am encouraged about energy and how it's perked up most recently. There are places in the economy that are strong, and there are places that are not. But I think I mentioned last time we, we, I was on, I listened to all of these industrial company conference calls at, from Eaton to Parker Hannafin to Ingersoll Rand to Caterpillar to Deere. To, I can name you a million of these companies, and every one of them have talked about how they're seeing momentum from reshoring, from government stimulus, um, from, from energy infrastructure build out, that sort of thing. And so I think there are going to be pockets in the economy that are going to do well. I'm not trying to whistle past the graveyard and say commodities rolling over isn't a, is it, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not happy about it. Um, but I don't think it's as gloom and doom when I listen to what companies are saying, uh, especially the manufacturing companies themselves. Scott, just to answer this question well put about why are the metals down and why are industrials, you know, why is cat and deer down? I actually think there was a clue yesterday, and it really does come down to this recession call. Okay, yesterday Ford uh, reiterated its guidance for the year. Now, let's be clear. They didn't raise guidance. I'm not saying all is rosy. But if the economy is going into recession, they should not, Ford or any auto OEM, should not be reaffirming guidance as of yesterday. That, to me, was a pretty strong indication. Now, the stock is pretty much you know, flat to down on the year. It really didn't do anything yesterday. It's up a little bit today. It is this ongoing tug of war, in my opinion, about the market thinking we're going to have a recession. The stocks, what the actual managements are saying is they just don't see it happening. At some point, that will resolve. One of those two sides will be right at some point. See, now, Marco Kalanovic yesterday, J.P. Morgan, I think it was yesterday, um, they're adding to cash and they're adding to gold. And, and he says, even aside from the debt ceiling issue, we maintain that the risk reward for equities is poor given elevated risk of recession, stretched valuations, high rates, and tightening liquidity. And we favor cash over equities at the former's 5% yields. How do, you, how do you push back against that? A, a, a former bull, as you've pointed out, and I, you know, I took comfort last year when he was on my side. Obviously, he's not now. I really think this is the top down. The things that he's talking about are macroeconomic, right? Liquidity, where the economy is, is overall. What Stephanie was saying, what I'm saying, um, is from the management's point of view. I mean, I could look at Wynn Resorts, right? I think they reported two weeks ago. And Craig Billings, the CEO, for the fourth quarter in a row, said, listen, we're perfectly aware of the macroeconomic environment, the things that Marco Kalanovich is talking about. But from our perspective, ultra-discretionary spending, we just don't see it. Could we have, could we have a service sector that avoids recession and a uh, manufacturing recession happen concurrently? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that the only are, thing are that we, would make it? Aren't we the, kind of having that as well, we speak? So uh, uh, look at May, S&P Global, uh, U.S. Manufacturing PMI. It's like seven, seven straight months or six out of seven months in contraction. Services are going up. So, you know, it's it's very hard. It's very hard to look at all of the data and form one conclusion. What if it's just this kind of thing where it's affecting one part of the global economy way differently? And we should stop using these catch all terms like recession, expansion to try to describe everything. Josh, to answer your question, to answer your question, yes, we can definitely have a combination in terms of the the economy, one that's not doing well, one that is services is important because it's 70 percent 
of consumption, right? So we are rooting for services. We're rooting for the consumer, which is 75% of GDP. So I know the consumer is mixed, but the services piece is a very important component to keep an eye on. And so to your point, yeah, you could have manufacturing struggle and have the services part of the economy do well and keep us maybe not in a recession. We'll have to see, but maybe that's the kind of the saving grace, if you will, can, um, can if, I- if it stays strong. Stephanie, I'm sorry to cut you off. Can I also point out, you know, we have had this discussion about rolling recession. By the way, Josh, I agree. These catch-all terms are ridiculous. Crash landing, no landing, hard landing, whatever. But I do think there is a case to be made, Ed Yardin has made it, about a rolling recession. Look at what's going on in housing right now. We are seeing more and more green shoots. Uh, new home sales, or I forget if it was home sales or starts today, came in a little bit better than expected. And that should be expected to continue if, here's the big if, Scott, if interest rates remain stable where they are. They they don't have have to come down. But they haven't really remained, quote unquote, stable. They've been rising and they've been rising a fair amount. And Jamie Dimon yesterday at J.P. Morgan's Investor Day was trying to prepare investors, the markets and virtually everybody else for an idea that rates are going to go higher. Mm -hmm. Fed funds rate going much higher than than people expect. That's not going to be good for the economy, the types of stocks that both you and Stephanie are, are talking about, nor for the housing market, which some have called a trough in already. And yeah. you look at what housing stocks have done, that would lead people to believe that the worst is over there, but not in a continuing in- environment where rates go up. Well, let's, let's be clear. My argument, and I think Stephanie's as well, is a lot stronger if the Fed doesn't continue raising rates. Let's start there. That's the easy part. If the Fed continues to raise rates, Jim Bullard uh, yesterday, not a voter, but he said he'd, he'd do two more this year. It becomes awfully hard for this economy to hang in there, whether it's housing or manufacturing or services. It just becomes harder to hang in there. So what this comes down to is inflation. You've got the PCE report coming out on Friday. Uh, We've got another inflation report, uh, CPI, the day that the Fed's meeting. Um, It's really down to the wire in terms of inflation showing signs that the Fed can pause. That's what it's coming down to. Let me just ask you straight up right here, because since we talked about what metals and mining uh, stocks are doing, would you advocate for people right now today to add to cliffs on some of the recent weakness that we've seen? I, I do. I will. And I do. Um, and the reason for it. And again, this is what is my perspective? It's not from the top down. It's from bottom up looking at what's going on at the company. Here's a company that has controlled its raw material inputs by buying scrap metal, by actually originally being an iron ore producer. It controls its own raw materials. It has locked in contract pricing with one third of its customers, which are auto OEMs. And oh, by the way, you know, steel prices relative to a year ago, hot rolled coil is higher now. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going right. By the way, Cleveland Cliffs, again, company specific, right? CapEx is going to be a lot lower this year than last year. So when you look at a company level, you can get excited. And what is it, like five and a half times earnings? Something like that. Below book value. Yes. You make really good arguments about the fundamentals of the company, but most of those arguments you could have made six months ago with the stock almost 25. So, like, at what point does the market decide it cares about those particular metrics that you mentioned, which I agree, if they're true, it's a a fairly healthy company, but, like, it... And and I think it's a good question. And why hasn't the stock... Presumably, the market knows everything you said about the the fundamentals of their pricing and and whatever else. Why hasn't it mattered? Um, Well, 
you said presumably the market knows. I think the market disagrees. It just disagrees. It says these things aren't going to happen. We're going to have a recession. People are going to stop buying autos. That's what happens in a recession, right? Production of automobiles is going to go down. We're not going to be building things. Steel prices are going to go down. That's the classic playbook. By the way, to answer your question, 25 to 15, that's what happens in a recession. If we're not in a recession, this stock should be higher than how much 25. Of the, how much of the end market is auto? How much of the end market is commercial uh, real estate construction. Yeah. So about 40% of the company's uh, revenues are auto. Okay. Um, and the rest of it is some of it's on the spot market. Some of it's contracted with just overall construction, both residential and non-residential. Um, so it's a pretty diverse base. Look, it's economic activity that's going to drive this. All right. Up next, we have a big win today for Broadcom. Shares hitting a new high on a new deal with Apple. It's our chart of the day. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Chart of the day, Broadcom hitting a new record intraday high today after the company signed a multi-billion dollar deal with Apple to supply U.S.-made chips. All right, Stephanie Link, second largest position, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is good news. Apple is their largest customer. It's about 20% of their total revenue. And there was also rumors earlier this year that Apple was actually going to do all of this in-house. So the fact that they're now outsourcing and keeping the relationship with Broadcom, that's a good thing. It obviously removes an overhang. It's kind of annuity-like revenue, so it's not going to change uh, change the game too much. But it is a it's a nice uh, it's a nice win for them. I I just think that. There's, that this company is a, a really diverse revenue mix that's it's underappreciated, even with the stock at new highs, because it only trades at 16 times, right? And it just doesn't get the respect. I mean, they have data center, they have cloud, they have AI. In fact, they are the number one, they actually are the number one customized uh, AI chip to companies like Meta and, and Alphabet. And they're also the number one cloud switch, right? So they don't get a lot of credit in terms of AI, but they have it. And then they have a lot of these other businesses that are um, kind of growing at double digits. So they're also growing um, their dividend. It's been up about 25% over the last five years on a Kager basis, and it yields about 2.7%. So you get the yield as well as the valuation. Lamb Research is the other you know, chip stock you have. We could talk about the sector too, if you'd like, which I, I would want to. Um, NVIDIA sort of sucks all the air out of the room. As we, we talked about it in the A block because its earnings are, are tomorrow in, in overtime. But what about Lamb here, which I think you've been adding to as well? 
Yeah, I, I have been adding to Lamb. Um, the, the stock is trading at 16 times forward estimates. And I do think that we're in the bottoming process of kind of memory. Uh, maybe another quarter or two, Scott, but I, I'm not going to be good enough to time it when they get through all of the in excess inventory. Um, and I thought that Applied Materials Quarter last week talked about Foundry being strong. Well, they've got about 30% exposure there, too. So I like it. The valuation is very attractive. It's really kind of almost like a duopoly in this industry. There's a couple of fringe players, too, but I, uh, I just like the valuation and the setup into the second half of the year. What about you, Jimmy? You got some Qualcomm. Uh, obviously, as people know, NXP, pretty levered to the continued strength in the auto industry by, by virtue of what you said about Cliffs and then NXP. NXP has been doing okay. Qualcomm's been a real a real thorn in my side. I mean, no question about it. And the turnaround in the handset market has taken a lot longer than expected. Um, JP Morgan's analyst did an interview with management yesterday, and they said they don't see that turning around anytime soon. So what you're really looking for for Qualcomm is for Internet of Things and automotive to pick up the slack from handset. That's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen over the next quarter or two. But at this price for Qualcomm, I just find it hard to sell. I'm going to hang on to it, even though it's been very disappointing. NXP, based on what you were pointing out and what I'm saying about automotive production, which basically inventories do still need to be filled on dealer lots, NXP should be doing good with production of autos. So, Josh, you mentioned the the you know SMH, the semis, up 30% year-to-date. It hasn't gotten a lot of play. Now, maybe NVIDIA and AMD... And some of those names that are more linked to AI have, have accounted for the lion's share of that. But what about the space now? Well, look, I think what you're seeing is just investor interest gravitating where the big secular growth stories are. And it's obviously not PCs. We know that from the way Intel has been executing. It's obviously not handsets. We know that from the Qualcomm's of the world. Really, all of the activity is in uh, capital equipment for, for semiconductors. Those are some of the better stocks. And anything that has to do with machine learning, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, et cetera, et cetera, um, it's just easier. It's, so you, you pay a higher valuation for the names that, that play there, of course, but the reason why you pay a higher valuation is because you have a tailwind, and these companies have an easier time meeting and exceeding expectations, less disappointments. Now, every game comes to an end, and eventually those stocks get bid up too much, far outstripping what the actual fundamental growth story is, but I don't think we're there yet. Like, we, we might be there short term, but this is a decade-long story of our economy literally being transformed by some of these tools. And I think that's what's in the valuation of the companies that are in this space. Um, it's not for everyone. Not everybody plays that game. But for the people that do, the, the stocks that you want to be involved with are right in front of your face. All right. Coming up, we have an upgrade for one big oil stock. It's down 6% this month. Stephanie Link owns it. We trade it. It's our call of the day. Plus, we want to remind you that Thursday is the ninth annual Red Nose Day. And the NBC family is a big supporter of that. We need your help as well. You can buy a Red Nose at Walgreens for $1. Wear it this Thursday and watch an NBC Red Nose Day edition of The Wall at 8 p.m. And since 2015, the campaign has raised more than $324 million to fight childhood poverty in the U.S. For more, go to rednoseday.org. Halftime is back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi with your CNBC News update. A group of Chinese immigrants in Florida suing the state over a new law that bans them from buying properties within 10 miles of military installations and other critical infrastructure. The law also impacts citizens of other countries, including Syria, Iran, and Russia. But Chinese citizens and those selling property to them face the harshest penalties. The suit says the law unfairly equates Chinese people with the actions of their government. Emergency shelters have started to fill in Guam as residents brace for Typhoon Marwar, a powerful storm that is expected to hit the U.S. Pacific Territory on Wednesday. President Joe Biden approving an emergency declaration ahead of the storm and the governor ordering people in low-lying areas to evacuate. And WhatsApp will allow users to edit messages, but only for 15 minutes after they press send. The popular chat app just started to roll out this feature to people worldwide. It should be available to all users in the coming weeks. Stock, Scott, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. That's Seema Modi. Let's do our call of the day. It's Chevron. It's upgraded today to a buy at HSBC. Analyst says that its underperformance versus its peers creates a buying opportunity. There it is, up 3%. Uh, Stephanie Link, you own it. So they cut the price target by a few bucks. To 189 uh, from 193, it's still 24% higher from here. Energy's been a big underperformer uh, so far this year. What about this one from here? Yeah, and and you know we talked about this last week. I actually added to it. It was last week. It was down about 18% from its January high, and I just thought it was really extreme. This is a great diversified total revenue. Um, uh, energy uh, company, international company with upstream, downstream chemicals. Um, and I think their E&P business, their upstream business, just got a whole heck of a lot better with this PDC deal uh, from that they announced yesterday. It adds, it will add 10% to proven reserves in the Permian. And you know that they have great assets in the Permian. About 9% of their total uh, mix is, is Permian. So they're increasing that, which I like very much. And it adds about a billion dollars to free cash flow. So um, I, I think at 11 times, forward estimates and a, a you know 17.5 billion dollar buyback uh, with you know M&A now on their mind I, I really like that a lot so I'm going to continue to buy on uh, on these dips Jimmy you still prefer uh, Exxon to, I, to I, Chevron I do because I'm in it and I know that's not the solid answer that you like to hear Scott but the thing is is I look at these two as twin giants and I think you got to own one or the other or both of them now I choose only one because I like to run a concentrated portfolio but Stephanie hit on something this deal that Chevron did with PDC shows why you want to be in the bigger integrated oil companies because they have the balance sheet capacity to do deals which is going to be important in the years to come as supply is constrained not just in the Permian where you're seeing well productivity decline 
but around the world where you're going to have to drill in more expensive places like harsh environment off water. You're going to need that balance sheet capacity of either an ExxonMobil or a Chevron. I've been an Exxon for three years. It's been very good to me, so I'm not going to switch horses now. Steph, you know, I, I, I think I generally find that it's either or for, for people. I don't yeah. feel like we have too many people who come on and say, you know, I own both and, and yeah. make the case for both. Is it a one or the other trade? Well, they're the two largest companies in the ETF, right? So if you want energy exposure, you're going to own one or the other, or you own the ETF and you own both, right? So for me, I just kind of like to diversify within energy. So I've got the big one, right, with Chevron, kind of steady Eddie, if you will, less beta. And then I kind of work around it with something like a, a Diamondback, which has a lot of juice, a lot of beta to it. Um, but I like the E&P cycle very much. I like what they have to offer, and the stock is extremely cheap. And then Slumberger, you know, I, I feel like I talk about it every week. I really do like it. And it is this little technology gem within the energy oil field services industry. And we haven't even seen international activity pick up just yet. We're at the inflection point, And I think they're, they have uh, pricing power as a result. So I kind of like to just do this whole barbell thing and this mix of diversification. Uh, diversification within energy. But I, I can't really turn down, um, it, you know, Exxon, I know Jimmy, I know why he owns it. It's a quality company, you get a good yield, and they're also very diversified as well. You go IEO, Josh. Yeah, I, so if you think there are deals to be had, a lot of the companies that make up the IEO ETF are going to be uh, the prey if Chevron and Exxon and companies of that size are the predators. So uh, I think both can do well. I don't think you necessarily want to be a size queen in like uh, in energy stocks in general because the larger ones are more integrated, more hedged, maybe less directionally involved with whatever's going on with oil that day. The smaller ones, they tend to trade more specifically on either oil prices or natural gas prices or barrels per day demand or whatever metric is moving the market. So I think you want to do some combination of the two. I just think IEO has more potential upside right now. All right, up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word. He'll be right here at Post 9 next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. Our senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now for his midday word. What's on your mind today? Well, this is the kind of day the uh, complainers have been asking for, right? You have small caps and banks outperforming Apple and Microsoft each down 1%. So the supposedly dangerous divergences may be closing a little bit, and it nets out to not much action. Uh, on the indexes. I guess there might be some who think there's some significance to the S&P. Three of the last four days, trades above 4,200, doesn't stay there, doesn't close there. So it seems silly. It seems very kind of micromanaged. But in the absence of big swing factor data points, it's going to move consensus one way or the other and get conviction up. Uh, I don't necessarily uh, think it's, it's 
irrelevant. Let's just put it that way, tactically. Could we really expect the, the S&P to find any stability above 4,200 as long as rates continue to go up almost every day? Yeah, you know, I, they can't go up too fast, I would say. They may be bumping up against levels where it matters. They're below where they were in March, okay? So we're still kind of operating in this post-SVB world of rates lower. The Fed path has definitely been uh, kind of pressured lower as well. But yeah, I think, I think it's going to be an issue uh, if it continues that way. I, if, it's, if it's all because people are anticipating some supposed rush of supply after the debt ceiling deal happens, mm-hmm. I think that's being front run. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like it should matter that much. Um, all people are doing is putting money in money market funds, which will immediately go soak up all the Treasury bills that get issued. But, uh, you know, I guess that's uh, that's another thing we should uh, worry about if we choose to. I guess it's going to test the resolve of the market, if nothing else, if tech starts to sputter in, sure. any, in any meaningful way. Well, just see, it just uh, see, see, you have to see if there's an answer for it. You have to see if, in fact, uh, you know, I, I keep wondering what exactly we were complaining about. So as uh, Goldman says, uh, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft up 40 percent year to date. The other 495 stocks up 4 percent year to date. If, if the whole market was up 4% year-to-date here in May, would we be thinking it was awful? Would we be thinking it said bad stuff is going to happen? We'd be saying we're up 12 to 13% from the October lows, some stocks up, some stocks down. It's not operating like the owner's manual of a bull market that people put in your hands <laughs> right. and said this is how it should be. But it doesn't always. It also isn't really acting like a bear market, frankly. You have a thought on this? Yeah, I, I just think there's so little investor interest in small caps overall, sure. like today notwithstanding. And then you look at some of the outflows coming from corporate bonds, and you say to yourself, can every one of these dollars really be going to money markets? And maybe they are. Yeah, yeah. They won't stay there. And so maybe that, that is some dry powder for later this year when we think maybe we've seen the worst of the er- earnings recession that I'm still waiting for. Um, that might be something where we say, oh, my God, remember yeah. how much money went into money markets and chase treasuries. Maybe there's a new game sure. in town. So I, I think that's one aspect. It doesn't here. change. Right? Look, most of the Russell 2000, it probably would be fine if they weren't public companies. right? You don't expect there to be real high conviction buyers to show up for all that. But as an asset class, it gets too cheap or too neglected for a while and comes back. Yep. Right. See in a couple hours right. on Closing Bell. That's Mike Santoli. Stay with the Halftime Report. CNBC CEO Council Summit underway in Santa Barbara, California. Our own Jim Cramer is speaking with Apple's Eddie Q. That's a rare conversation. You just don't get the opportunity very often to speak with Mr. Q. We got highlights from that exclusive interview coming up next. We are back. CNBC's inaugural CEO Council Summit underway in Santa Barbara, California. Our own Jim Cramer, as I said, just taking the stage with Apple's SVP of services, Eddie Q, to talk about the strength of Apple's brand. Here's what he said. I think we have a huge advantage in the world. Um, We use all of our products all the time. Um, Our families, wife, kids, friends, um, certainly all the good friends. we all use our products, so there's no really, ex- like I always look when we, and we do, we've blown some things or whatever, not done well. There's no excuse for it, because 
we're, the, we're first and foremost first-time users. I think, you know, we get a tremendous amount of feedback. Our customers give us a lot of feedback, and, and we do that. I think the interesting thing is always about how to see around the corner. Um, and so it's, it's, how do you give things that customers want that they don't know they want yet? All right, that's Eddie Q with Jim Cramer. CNBC CEO Council Summit continuing on the West Coast this week. For more, check out cnbc.com slash CEO. And there's part of the lineup we still have to come. We'll have some highlights coming up for you later on in closing bell as well. Grade my trade up next. We're right back. trade. Stephanie, you're up first. It's from Justin. Bought UPS just shy of $180. So you own it. What do you think yeah. of UPS here? Uh, I like it. I bought it uh, after the company reported a disappointing quarter and the stock fell 11% that day. Hasn't really done much since I bought it, but I'm patient. And I think um, everyone should be patient because I think the first half of the year, we all know the macro is slowing down a bit. And and then also, of course, they are doing a very heavy investment year. But I think that's going to yield to really good results going forward in terms of margin expansion and better top line growth. So I like it very rare to get this stock at 14 times forward. The average is 16 and a half. So I like it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jim, you first on Oracle, because I'm gonna go to Josh as well. You both own it. It's from Joe. Bought 65 shares of Oracle last month. Should I add more or hold? You go first. Yeah, and I think I bought it one day after Josh, so I was following good company. Um, here's the story with Oracle. It's a great company. It's at an attractive price, but I think we have to respect the fact that it's up about 55% off the October lows. What I'm saying to you is, yes, you can add to it. I'm not sure now is the right time. There's a little bit of a give back in tech. See if that continues a little bit. I'm just saying you don't have to add to it now, but if you get pullbacks, then yes. You called for this breakout. Yeah, it, it, it happened, and now this is what we call the low, vol, the low volume retest of the breakout level. So this is like the stock dips back a little bit. Maybe some of the, the people with less conviction that were only in it on technicals, maybe they falter, they get out. This is a classic uh, setup that traders look for. Patty, give me a three-year chart really quickly. It's not an, This is why you pay attention to technicals. It's not an accident where this stock stopped. Literally, the November 2021 high acted as a ceiling for the stock. That's where this huge breakout took a little bit of a pause. I think some sellers materialize. I think maybe uh, you see that low volume, low conviction pullback. And then once that supply is digested, this stock can continue on. Worth pointing out, at its peak last week, the stock hit a relative strength in uh, index of 75, almost unheard of, especially for a stock like this, way overbought short term. Now that's corrected, probably get it back closer to 60 by the time it's ready to be bought again. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Final trades are next. Three o'clock Eastern time, closing bell. Lauren Goodwin's going to be with me along with A.J. Oden. We're going to have the latest from our CEO Council Summit as well out in Santa Barbara. Frank Holland's going to set you up for Palo Alto earnings too. Cyber stocks have done really well. So he'll tell you what to look out for when that company does report uh, earnings as well. But let's do some finals. Stephanie Link, why don't you go first? 
Sure, HCA. I haven't bought it yet, but it's on my radar screen. Strong fundamentals, 7-8% EBITDA growth, margin expansion, a $3.7 billion buyback. And I love this acquisition they did last week to increase their urgent care exposure. That's going to give them higher growth going forward. Okay, good stuff. Thank you, Steph. Farmer Jim. Uh, Cisco Systems. Uh, this is another one of those stocks where it beat, it raised, earnings estimates are going up, and yet the stock has really been uh, lackluster all year. I think that's the opportunity at this valuation to get into it. You know, we've almost been talking about everything but Amazon in Very terms cool. of mega cap tech, right? Yeah. I, I am ready to issue a crossover alert on Amazon. Uh, you've got a rising 50-day about 103, 104. Um, you've got a flatlining 200-day at 105. That 50-day looks like she wants to cross over. Amazon is green and a red tape for large cap tech. Something's brewing here. I'm long. I'm excited. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.